0: Welcome to GradCast. I'm Callum. I'm Krishna.
1: All the do's and don'ts of being a grad.
2: This time on GradCast, getting in the right
3: headspace at work. A lot of graduates have that worry, you know, that little worry factor, or I always call it that little imposter syndrome. So sometimes graduates go into that unhelpful thinking process. It's a time in your life where you're not going to be perfect you're gonna get corrective, you know, constructive feedback. And getting that
2: work-life balance thing on the right track. The challenges of being a
3: grad. There's a lot of career pressure. It's a time in one's life where there's some confusion sometimes around identity, about relationships, about you know, personal relationships or relationships with family and friends. As workplaces mark
2: Are You OK Day? Some timely words of experience and advice. That's Gradcast, and here are Callum and Krishna.
0: How are you, Callum? How's everything?
1: Everything's good, thanks, Krishna. How are you?
0: I'm good. Trying to not catch a cold in this horrendous Canberra weather, but, like, I think it's starting to get to me, so I'm just trying to, you know, get my hot teas in and all of that. Um, But that's a conversation for another time. Today we are joined by our guest, Rachel Clements... And for all of our listeners, Rachel is the Director of Psychological Services at the Center for Corporate Health, which she herself founded in 1999, co founded in 1999 as the principal psychologist. And Rachel is extremely sought after to speak on all things mental health and resilience and well being, which is the theme of our podcast today.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on.
0: I would love to for you to clarify your profession and maybe tell a little bit more for our listeners. Um, and there's a lot of terms out there that are thrown around in the mental health profession. Um, psychiatrists, counsellors, therapists. Um, so if you could differentiate between those and then maybe tell us what a principal psychologist does.
3: Mm, certainly. So I'm actually an organisational psychologist, so that means I consult to organisations and my specialty area is everything to do with workplace wellbeing. So we have a team at the Centre for Corporate Health and we um, focus on all aspects of wellbeing, everything from prevention, what are the things that we can do to prevent harm to employees in the workplace. So that might be some education programs, skilling up leaders, skilling up HR professionals. It might be running employee sessions. It might be running sessions for graduates to enhance their well-being and their resilience as they're entering entering into their professional lives as well. It can be doing sometimes psychosocial risk assessments where we go into organisations and we're able to help determine what places somebody at risk for mental health issues in the workplace. Therefore, what measures and controls can we put in place to hopefully keep their mental health nice and strong and, and, and very positive. We also do a lot of work in that early intervention. So that's when someone starts not to travel so well. And are you okay? Always talks about if we can get in early, we can stop a little problem from becoming a big one. So we do a lot of EAP counseling for organizations. A lot of organizations will have a confidential counseling service that they offer their staff. So we are a provider that offers that. We often do a lot of leadership or HR advisory coaching. Uh, We sometimes respond to critical incidents. We sometimes do proactive well checks for uh, teams or organizations that are experiencing vicarious trauma and we get in early and do proactive well checks on people in high risk roles to stop a little problem from becoming a big one and we also just do a lot of work on we call it the recovery the recovery space with our sister company Resilia and that's where we we work with people who are unwell in their mental health in the workplace usually as a result of work and we're helping them on the journey to get back on track to get their life back back on track again and to feel good about life again so we're cover all aspects of workplace well-being. We're a little different, Krishna, to, to answer your question around the difference between between a psychiatrist and a psychologist, we're a little different to psychiatrists in that we're very much or our profession is very much focused, uh, our specialty as organizational psychs, is very much focused on the workplace. And uh, whereas psychiatrists are able to to have consultations with people and assist them through their 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 mental health and their well being largely through counselling and also, of course, they can prescribe medication, which psychologists can't. And uh, there's a difference yet again with counsellors who maybe provide that that therapy or that, that counselling support and assistance, which is very much valued, particularly at the moment with such long wait lists to get into people. So we're all a little different, but we all contribute and um, really are very passionate about mental health from a variety of different lenses and work and uh, perspectives.
1: Uh, something you mentioned before was that you have done a lot of consulting with uh, grads in the public and the private sectors, and uh, many of our listeners are current or aspiring APS grads or young professionals. Uh, and in, in your experience, what are some of the workplace wellbeing issues? that young professionals or grads might experience?
3: Yeah, thanks, Callum. Firstly, what I'd say is that there is high prevalence rate within the graduate cohort um, for a number of reasons, which I'll talk about in a moment. But the latest ABS statistics just came out a couple of weeks ago, which some of you, you may have seen, and it did highlight young people as being more vulnerable to the experience of particularly anxiety in the last last 12 months with two in five young people aged 16 to 24 years experiencing a mental health issue in the last 12 months. That's 39.6%. For that cohort, of course, we know that that cohort is also our graduate population as well, so we may have people going through their university studies and then entering into their various professions so there's a couple of things that i that I certainly know from working very very much, very closely with graduates over the years. Firstly, it is a time in one's life that can be challenging, right? You're coming out of university, you're trying to work out, I've got to get, I feel like there's pressure to get my career on track. Do I, I may have done some studies at university, but do I really know what I want my career to be like? Do I know where I want to head? So there's a lot of career pressure. It's a time in one's life where there's some confusion sometimes around identity, about relationships, about, you know, personal relationships or relationships with family and friends, so all of that can can be a changing time. It can be a time where people are, are moving out of home sometimes are moving into state so there 's a lot of when we think of it big life changes that happen with that cohort and then we see the challenges of entering into a profession at the same time as all of that. So we often see what i 've seen more recently in the graduates is A challenging time learning because of all of the hybrid working that's been taking place. A lot of graduates are feeling like, oh, I don't feel as if my career and my learning is progressing as well as it should. I feel as if the hybrid working maybe has impacted on me. My learning is much more facilitated when I'm in a workplace. I'm overhearing people. I can, I know, in our business, I, I see our graduates. I love it when they come in because they can overhear conversations. They learn a lot of little things that it's hard to, to learn more formally. So I've seen that be a struggle for graduates in the last little while. Also sometimes in the workplace with graduates a little in line with all the lockdowns and things that we've had, a a little sense of sometimes disconnection. Who's in my support crew? I feel like I may be meeting people for the first time virtually. Maybe I'm I'm having working relationships with my leaders or my colleagues, but not face-to-face or maybe very little. So that's the quality of the support can be challenging as well. So I always say to graduates, form your own support crew. It is so important for you when you're starting out in your career. Look at who's in your support crew, whether it's fellow graduates, maybe maybe it's somebody more senior that's really trusted um, or it could be a leader or a mentor as well. Be very proactive in in managing your own support crew and thinking about that and having that strong support crew behind you. I've seen graduates struggle with energy levels as well in terms of the fatigue of, of all of the way of studying and working. And just know, You know, when you're coming out and you've never worked full-time before with full hours, just managing the tiredness and the fatigue. I remember as a graduate being absolutely exhausted every day thinking, how do people even work full-time? And uh, getting used to maintaining and sustaining your energy levels. But also, a lot of graduates have that worry, you know, that little worry factor, or I always call it that little imposter syndrome. So sometimes graduates go into that unhelpful thinking process. It's a time in your life where... You're not going to be perfect. You're going to get corrective, you know, constructive feedback, um, trying not to beat oneself up around that, but trying to really take it as a learning and growing uh, experience, being able to take something on board, commit it to learning, chalk it up to experience and move on. I always say to graduates is really not about holding on to that and getting bogged down in that and the ability to switch off. The ability to still keep a life outside of work and be able to still have a little bit of balance in your life, keep your friends and your family, nurture those relationships. They're really important, but ultimately trying to get into those good well-being habits. And to
1: follow up on that, um, what have been some of the best practices that you've seen uh, workplaces or organizations implement to promote mental health and well-being?
3: (laughs) Oh, there's been so many wonderful stories in this space, particularly in the last six or seven or so years, where we've seen such a shift in people's readiness, organizations' readiness and willingness. When I was consulting 10 years ago, a lot of the time people would, would, organizations would invest when there was a problem. You know, it was almost too late then. So we're really investing in that intervention. Let's get really good at intervention and recovery when people burn out or when people become really unwell. So the wonderful thing is that. In the last few years, i've seen a very big shift in people's in organizational mindset around let's move into that prevention space let's invest in our team's wellbeing or leaders' wellbeing or or employees or graduate wellbeing let's invest in these in these wellbeing initiatives before there's an issue ultimately too prevent harm. But to be able to keep people healthy, we know when people's well-being is nice and strong, we're going to get the gains for performance and productivity and job satisfaction and long tenure and career longevity. So I've seen a lot of different organizations do things really well, but I I often think it's leading from the top. I always think if organizations are looking to get a well-being initiative off the ground, it is absolutely leading from the top. I've seen wonderful stories where leaders have come out very openly in a public forum with all of their, you know, maybe even one to 2,000 employees and saying, I have gone through a challenging time with my well-being. And let's face it, our well-being is very fluid. It's not static for anybody. Um, no matter how senior, no matter what job title you may have, well-being has ebbs and flows throughout the duration of our life cycle, and that's normal. But I've seen probably where it's it's worked really well is changing that that boosting that psychological safety by by storytelling. Storytelling can be wonderful around this is my story. This is my experience. I'm here to encourage people to speak out about mental health, bring your whole selves to work. If you're coming in on a day where you're not feeling great, you know, come in. We want to know about it. Let's have open and honest and authentic conversations. And I think if you've got a leader really leading from the top and sharing a bit of that leadership vulnerability, it goes such a long way to setting the foundations for initiatives. So that's when we often come in and we'll do wonderful mental health training. We've just done some mental health training for 900 leaders in a retail population, and um, that was very much led from the top, and then it sets really good foundations for us to come in to enable some training around leaders, around, we call it the four R's of mental health. Any leader needs to be trained and educated around how do I recognize when someone in my team is not okay? How do I respond to it appropriately? How do I lean in and have one of those are you okay conversations? How do I refer somebody on to some next steps and be a wonderful connector? And how do I keep someone on my radar until they're on that road to recovery? So I think laying those good foundations with leadership, storytelling, storytelling, And leadership support and sponsorship is vital to any initiative an organisation wants to do in this space.
0: For somebody who doesn't have a lot of training, like a grad, um, starting that conversation or even opening up themselves can be quite intimidating. And um, I think the culture we live in, it can be even more intimidating to, to step up and reach out if you feel like you're going to say the wrong things and, you know, living in a world of cancel culture that we do. So what sort of advice do you have for people to be more confident in, in being able to start a conversation?
3: I think in all of this, Krishna, we can never underestimate the impact of meaningful support. And um, I, I love this, I, this year's Are You OK? Day theme, which is very much, as you said, ask, are you OK? No, no qualifications needed. It's actually come out of new research that Are You OK? undertook, which found that four in 10 Australians feel asking someone, are you OK? is a conversation better had with an expert. So if we're for all thinking... It's got to be done by an expert, a GP, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a counsellor. You know, if we all think that, then we're missing the opportunity connect in with each other as families or friends or as colleagues. And you're right, Krishna, it does take a little bit of courage and a little bit of confidence, but I always think it's just around having those simple steps, leaning in and saying, hey, I've noticed a change in you, you don't seem quite yourself, I'm here to support you. Are you okay? Second step, being able to listen, and that's being able to listen without judgment, being able to listen openly and being able to to show that you are listening, being able to empathize your body language, your tone of voice, your eye contact, all communicates that you're listening. Being able to, the third step, gently guide someone to support if they need it. Being able to guide someone to those next steps. Sometimes people might say, you know what? I don't need any next steps. Just talking to you was so powerful. I actually feel so much better. That's all I really need at the moment. But occasionally some people do need that more professional assistance and support so being able to gently guide someone to those next steps and then I think one of the most important steps of the IUAK okay conversation is around um, following up, which is the last stage around following up with that person. Let's have a coffee next this time next Tuesday or let's have a coffee in two days time. I want to check in and see how you're going. It's that little text message that you might remember to send. It's the fact that you're initiating that communicates to somebody. You're concerned about me. You care about me. You're here to support me. So in answer to your question, Krishna, I think it's about removing ourselves from the pressure. A lot of people say to me, oh, I feel like I might say the wrong thing. I feel like I might get it wrong. Or what if I don't have the answers? And my response is always, you don't have to. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to. You're not going to say the wrong thing. It is really literally just having the courage and the confidence to ask that first question. And once you're there, it is literally just being able to listen and support and never underestimate. You might not be a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor, but never underestimate the powerful impact that you can have on someone, that your words can have. It's so important. And what we know is that when people actually have those those conversations, research most recently with R found that when it's an authentic and genuine R conversation, more than 80% of people say that they're making a positive difference. And I know it makes an incredible difference to the receiver of that conversation. So, have that courage, have that confidence this Are You Okay Day. Think of someone that you maybe haven't connected with in a little while, maybe someone that you know is doing it tough. Give some thought as to someone that's been juggling multiple things at the moment and really make that transition that, you know, the knowing of Are You Okay? Oh, I know I could do it, I know I should do it into doing because it does make a wonderful difference when you can transition it into action.
0: And just want to quickly interject for a lot of our grads who've traveled um, from different cities and don't have a dog in the city, they're doing their grad program. There's tons of farmers markets in Canberra where people will let you pet your dogs for free. So please go and pet a dog. It will. Yeah. It's that serotonin boost that yeah we all need sometimes. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. But I want to change gears to asking a bit about yourself. 23, 24 years of listening to people, um, checking in on them, I guess, and being an entrepreneur and and being an entrepreneur of health and wellness and mental health. I'm sure there are days that you feel down as well. So what do you do to look after your mental health?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, Krishna. Thank you for asking that. Uh, it's yeah, juggling, you know, running a business. Um, is always has challenges um, having a family, having children, or having you know relationships and juggling that with your own well being. I'm fortunate enough to be quite active in giving myself permission to put the oxygen mask on myself, so I do try with myself and in our business to practice what we preach. Uh, we might not be perfect every day, but hey, if I do something for 10 minutes or five minutes, it's better, better than nothing. So it's very much around some days uh, I try and exercise every day as much as I can. Uh, that's through formal exercise, like I have a, a a small exercise group that I engage with, which I love because I get the connection and um, and exercise at the same time. That's always been something that really has been a powerful uh, contributed to my positive wellbeing. Um, I have a wonderful support crew. I'm very lucky. My team at work, my leadership team, my team at work are amazing. Um, We've got a culture in our team where it's very much an are you okay culture. We can debrief if I've got a problem. I don't know the answers to everything all the time. I'm constantly ringing our team going, got this tricky situation. How do you think we should do this? And we problem solve and troubleshoot together. So I think having the support crew as i mentioned before is so important for your career and your positive well-being i have a very good active support crew outside of work as well and even though i might be tired it's about trying to invest you know i might not feel like going out to a massive party but i might feel like connecting with somebody for a coffee on a saturday or something so really that power of connection and keeping those connections alive i have a dog that i love to spend time with and we know that pets release a lot of serotonin, which is incredibly good for your mental health. So I do a lot of that and I love just getting outdoors, love getting by nature. It is absolutely completely, I can have some worries and suddenly I'm by the beach or I'm walking walking somewhere with the dog and um, suddenly everything just goes away. Watching a sunset or sun, sunrise, for example, just really connecting in with nature really changes my psyche. Uh, Rachel,
1: um, it's so Are you Okay Day is a great time for facilitating conversations about mental health, but sometimes, I guess, during the rest of the year, these conversations can take a bit of a backseat. Do you have any resources or tips for keeping these conversations going about mental health um, yeah, throughout the year?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, Callum, because I think it's more and more there is more awareness now. I think about Are You OK Day is not just on the 8th of September. Are You OK Day? Let's get good at having this so as it's an everyday thing. So, very much what that comes down to is having really good psychological safety cultures in other words, having are you okay cultures. And psychological safety is something that builds and it, it's about having the trust account nice and full. So I always think it's worth investing in how do we establish ourselves as a great psychologically safe culture. And that means it usually is leaders, again, leading from the top, being able to put well-being front and centre, on the radar, leading with well-being. And look, leaders don't necessarily have these skills. So this is where programs come in, where we do a lot of training in this space to give people those skills. We run programs on how do you create um, psychologically safe cultures. How do I, as a leader... Enhance my supportive leadership because we know that is a very big protective factor for positive mental health and well-being. even as a leader, how do I get good at those four hours How do I get good at having those are you okay conversations there's sometimes wonderful skills that we can learn to help us in that space, and I think we know when when we 're there when it's part and parcel of leadership programs. It's part and parcel of graduate programs. It's part and parcel of promotional programs where these types of sessions and information gets implemented from anything from recruitment, you know, all the way through the longevity of someone's career. And, uh, you know, I think there's always new things that we can learn in this space. So making you U OK Day part of your culture and part of more of an everyday thing is about embedding it in your organisational HR processes and systems and all those things. But you can, as a graduate, be a great ambassador for RUOK. You You can be that person that's there, you know, being a wonderful connector that's proactively reaching out. It's about getting good at having RUOK conversations just normally right? You know, oh, I can see you've been, you know, we've been working really hard on that deadline. I just wanted to check in and see how you are. How are you going? You know, just making are you okay conversations everyday normal is a big part of this. So we don't have to just save it for if there's a challenge or someone's not, not doing so well, but let's make it part of our everyday language in our culture. And that goes a long way to setting that up. So as it's more than just once a once a, once a year.
0: Rachel, last question for you. I'm going to be wearing yellow, and I'm armed with my cupcakes, as I always am on Are Okay Day. What are you going to be doing on Are Okay Day this year?
3: Are uh, you okay? Day is one of our busiest days. <laughs> we usually have our, our team going out um, running a lot of Are Okay sessions for our clients. But no matter how busy we are on that day, we always have a team connection. So we always have event, an event in the morning um, over coffee. This year we're able to do it face to face, which we're so excited about. The last couple of years when we we're in lockdowns, you might recall we had to do it all virtually. We all wear our yellow t shirts. We've sent our team out the R U OK? Kit Kats to everybody, um, so everyone can dose up on some nice uh, Kit Kats as well. And we're going to have just that moment of connection where some of our leadership team talks about what R U OK? means to us as humans, uh, not as leaders, but as, as, as people. And we um, then take our team through this year's theme and we take them through a run on some of the the information that we're presenting on today. for the day with our clients and we are this year having an in-person morning tea as well so we're going to get those cupcakes out too
0: well thank you so much for joining us rachel it was so lovely chatting with you and um, i'm sure callum can agree even though i've pretty much not let him speak this entire episode because i'm so excited so i'm sorry callum
1: all good thank you so much for joining us rachel
3: thank you so much for having me
0: but speaking of Are You U OK? Day, which is on the 8th of September, what are your plans, Callum?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, actually, just today in the office I picked up, we've got some some little cards that is now attached to my uh, little lanyard to remind myself of the questions to ask. And yeah, I guess just have, have the conversations around Are You U OK? Day. So that'll be a good reminder for the day. How about yourself? Callum?
0: Yeah, love that. The lanyard is like the lanyard and the puffer jackets. And that's how you know you're talking to a public servant. Love that. Love that about Canberra. Um, Yeah, so as as usual, my workplace will obviously be doing a lovely morning tea, which I love, a bit of a dopamine hit with those sugary cupcakes. And yeah, just being mindful um, about starting those holy conversations. And we are very lucky that we oftentimes have our senior leaders come out and talk about these things. So it really encourages other staff members to feel more confident about their feelings and open up and, and reach out and get the help if they need it.
1: That's great. I'm also really interested to hear what our listeners are doing to celebrate Are You okay Day. What are they doing in their workplaces? So if you're doing something interesting, let us know and we'll be promoting some of the best initiatives on our socials.
0: Yep how exciting yeah i would love to attend your morning tea and steal some of your cupcakes so do do write in at your own expense you can follow us on all podcast listening apps and our social media and the handle for that is gradcast podcast so i hope you enjoyed this um, episode and thank you so much callum for putting up with me and joining in on this
1: that's okay and thank you very much for listening to our episode today and yeah we hope that you tune in next time thank you
0: thank you
2: and thanks to Krishna and Callum. Keep an eye out for a bonus Gradcast coming up soon with more on mental health beyond the cupcakes. Making Are You Okay Day every day.
0: Building a culture takes time, and you're absolutely right. It can be kind of easy to, to care on days that you know there's great branding and promotion about, and everyone talks about it, and then kind of forget or not check in on
3: it the rest of the, the rest of the year.
2: That's coming soon. Also coming up, a Gradcast Q&A special. Send our expert panel your questions, queries and anything else. Hello at gradcast.com.au. Gradcast is produced by Content Group on Ngunnawal Land in Canberra. It's supported by the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation, CSC. Check us out online and we'll be back soon, wherever you get your
3: podcasts.